1: Get your quote today at Progressive.com to join the over 28 million drivers who trust Progressive. Progressive Casualty Insurance Company and Affiliates. Price and coverage match limited by state law.
0: This Pine tar for Breakfast is brought to you by Hatfield Quality Meats, makers of delicious Hatfield, Phillies, Franks. Today, it's another cross pod. Myself, Corey Seidman, Jim Salisbury. That's right. NBC Sports, Philadelphia, Phillies Talk and Tar for breakfast, right here, next. In the air to left field, going back on it. It
2: is
0: gone!
2: Kevin Franzen sends everybody home! Balls are Coming, Coming down. down!
0: What up, and welcome to another episode of Tar for breakfast on this beautiful Saturday morning here Philadelphia, South Jersey area for myself, and like two weeks ago, we did it with the High Hopes podcast: Jack Fritz, James Seltzer from WIP. We're gonna go do a cross pod today. Jim Salisbury and Corey Seidman of NBC Sports Philadelphia Phillies talk.
1: What's up, boys? kev how you doing, man? How are you doing uh, during this? time of the year that I would imagine for the last 30 straight years has been baseball time for you, huh?
0: Well, hello, fellas. But let me tell you something. Uh, I have a nice beard going. Uh, this started on uh, March 23rd. Wow. So I got a good growth going. The hair's going. I've lost my mind. Uh, wife's pregnant. I mean, there's a lot of things going on here at the uh, and household. So how you guys doing?
2: Jake, what's up? <laughs> doing all right you know i i got my hat on because my hair is just totally unruly i need a haircut so bad
0: i i'm really i'm not gonna go any haircut i just think i'm gonna go harp on this i'm gonna i'm just gonna grow it out and
1: uh see where see where it may be well now i feel obligated now i feel obligated to show you guys that i buzzed myself the other day, yeah, you not, might need to put that hat back on. Huh? Not thrilled with how it went, which is why I'm rocking the NBC Sports Philadelphia <laughs> hat. But I was just going crazy because you know my hair is coming out of the sides and pushing out my glasses. And Kev, I mean, you know, uh, how do you replace this energy? You know, how do you replace the the day to day being at the ballpark for ten hours and soaking in the the weather and the atmosphere and everything?
0: Oof, so many stupid little projects you end up doing that you don't need to do. Right. And then there's there's, you know, going through stats or going through, you know, looking through rosters and just see what, what you know, how things may play out. Uh, then it comes to the house stuff It goes to the yard. The yard looks pretty good right now here in uh, South Jersey. Um, I, 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 I'm going to be honest with you guys. I started uh, baking sourdough bread from scratch. Yeah. Yep. So uh, it's phenomenal. It's a
2: San Francisco uh, thing.
0: Yeah, no, that's something that we miss from being back home. But uh, there's a lot of benefits of uh, being home and doing that stuff. Look, I'm a terrible preschool teacher. And uh, so that's not been good for me. My daughter hasn't learned much from me, but from my wife, absolutely a ton. Uh, I just miss being around the game. And I, I just – it sucks. Like, I, I uh, this is understandable. It's, a, it's terrible for so many people, but it's like, man, I just – I love the game. I love being around it. I can't. I'm not a big fan of watching stuff I already know the outcome to, <laughs> uh, and that's a. It's a, unless it's a historical thing, uh, but I, I just I can't. But so okay. I have this one thing as being a, a player, broadcaster, and all this stuff, and I feel like there's one thing that I've been more than enamored by, and it's work by you guys, work by so many writers around the country. Like it, how are you guys coming up with these ideas whether it's stories relevant or uh you know trying to make it not seem relevant but just the fact that you're not making up stories you're bringing out like quality material has it challenged you guys yeah what do you think
1: jim
2: yeah it's a challenge i would force to jump in the wayback machine a lot and um you know, do a lot of trips down memory lane. Like, I'm actually thinking of asking you about that Barry Bonds shirt and giving us a few of your favorite Barry Bonds stories. Maybe we'll write about that. But, yeah, we've been writing about it. Corey and I um, – That's my
0: jersey from 756. Oh, wow. Seven, That's I cool. think Was
2: 756 – I was at that game. Was that the
0: one off uh, Mike Basic? Yep. Yeah, Basic? I, I was, was playing the, shortstop.
2: I was at that game. I, I, I covered that game. I remember – God, it came off the bat like a –
0: but I don't know if you remember that,
2: that night. Hit that back. We hit that back.
0: Oh, oh. It, it, I was so I was right next to Nikolai's son, uh, and, and when he hit it, but it was weird because we've been going on. A, it was a it was a good stretch where, uh, you know, he hadn't hit 756. We're at 755. Yeah, came back been, from Chicago. Yeah, Chicago. Then we go to San Diego. He gets and in, in, in ties up Aaron there. Uh, that night in San Francisco was oddly humid. And I and we all walked out going, all right, something's different. Like th- tonight's gonna change. And, and and one of those. So uh first inning I dove for a ball that's dirty, so I kept it. Uh that's not his jersey from that night, because then right. that'd be really expensive and awesome. But it's a signed jersey. Anyway, uh cool night. But I mean, like you go down memory lane, uh what comes like how has it been fun going back on notebooks and stuff and and reading like what you wrote about or or that type of things
2: yeah i've actually i do i'm pretty diligent about like keeping all my stories from a particular year so i have them right in my laptop so you know i've been able to go back and um refresh my memory and read over some stuff from the oa world series and it's been kind of fun to read again and and to relive that we're going to be writing about some of that um and we've even gone back further than that. I mean, Corey and I played uh, Stratomatic, the 08 team against the 80 team. That was a lot of fun to go back and, and just – Who controlled off. who? We, um, we let the computer simulate it.
1: And then I know, but who, who was – were you 08? No, was, I was 08. 08? For all, for all 08? intents and purposes, I was repping 08 and Jim was repping 80. <laughs> and it turned out – you know what? It turned out to be a little bit less of a competitive series than, than we thought. Yeah. The 80 team kind of waxed them as yeah. the series went on.
0: Did you? And, uh, but, would you agree with it? Would you agree with it? I, I was going to ask you about that. I mean, would you have agreed with that, Jim, like just from being around and, and understanding the, the time? and.
2: I thought the 80 team was a superior team uh, going in. I thought they'd win it, and they did. Um, it, there were a few random acts of, you know, of what the heck, but it was uh, like Cole Hamels hitting two doubles off of Steve Carlton to key a game <laughs> one victory. But, you know – It really was all worthwhile when Matt Stairs comes off the bench in game, what was it, game five, Corey, or game four? and Game four or five, and he he hits a grand slam in the top of the ninth off Tug McGraw. So it was just an excuse to have some fun with it and and read about some old names and relive some old names. And one of the things we're doing now is, um, and this is not unique, you know, A lot of folks are doing what if stories in a lot of different media outlets and and we've done a few as well and we're calling it like in in an alternate universe and we've actually gone back and tried to revisit some under the radar what ifs like Corey wrote about. Yeah. What if Hunter Pence is not traded to the Giants? Hunter Pence becomes this cult hero out there, helps them win, becomes almost a spiritual leader on that team and helps them win three World Series. I mean, you know, a really cool, fun what if to dig into. And we did uh, Roy Campanella. What if he had been a Philly? And what if Cliff Lee um, doesn't – give up a home run to Jose Lopez on September 15th, 2011, seven shutouts. Maybe that's enough to win the uh, Cy Young. Maybe he lost to Cy Young on one pitch. And then you're talking about Barry Bonds's 756. And I, I, that's such a great press box in San Francisco. You're right on top of yeah. the floor. I can still hear the ball coming oh, off of so bat. I can still <laughs> hear it hitting the back wall, that brick wall. Boom. Well, how about this for a what-if in Philly's history? In the 1915 World Series at the Baker Bowl, it only sat 20,000. Mm-hmm. The owner's trying to jam more people into the stands. It was spacious and left, very spacious in center, short porch and right. He ropes off Potter center field and part of left field to jam more fans in there. The Red Sox bopped three balls into the, <laughs> into the roped off area that are ruled home runs. Phillies end up losing the 1915 wow. World Series. Really? Um, yeah, it was so – and, it, you know, and that's a story I, I read about years ago and I read a lot about it, but it always just – it freaks me out. It's so funny to think that that you could decide a World Series on three ground rule um, home runs. and if, if that doesn't happen, maybe those balls are outs and yeah. maybe the Phillies win the series. So those are how we're occupying ourselves with these – kind of uh, what-ifs, and try- just trying to have some fun with it all as we kind of, like you, cross our fingers that the game comes back.
0: Well, I, I was – like, Corey just wrote about it, and you were talking about the Hunter Pence trade, and I was I was in the, the van with him as we were going to uh, Nats Park when he Jeff got traded.
2: Jeff van?
0: What's that? Jeff Spicoli's van? Yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> yeah I was like, <laughs> ooh, mm-hmm. <laughs> don't want to go there. But anyway uh, – <laughs> great reference right there um it changed a lot it was it was weird in that clubhouse and i had just been there for three days maybe four at most um i I just came over from triple a and i i started playing and the the thought that we had just given up i think was a little was real um but then a couple days later, I think we all started to, uh, you know, we started rolling again, and we started playing some, some decent baseball. And you wonder if that piece right there, if a, a Victorino or Pence are still involved, do we push our way through? We don't go to Houston and, and lay an egg in, in front of 10, 10 people the entire series and, and play four four-hour four, four hour games where, where Tony DiFrancesco has a, a triple-barrel bullpen going on in, in the bullpen the entire game. Uh, I I just feel like we – things may have been different based on that, but they were needed to be done. I mean, I think Ruben did a a hell of a job in in doing what he needed to do at that
1: time. Well, it kind of reminds me of 06, the deadline in 06 when the Phillies traded Bobby Abreu, because right after then, the team kind of started to take off. And you wonder, like, okay, would the same thing have played out if events didn't change? Or was that kind of like the jolt that shook things up? You you know, sometimes you see, like, when a manager gets let go, there's that – there's that like bounce from the team that they yeah. have no choice but to respond. Uh, but that that was a strange year, 2012, because you know the Phillies dealt Victorino, they dealt hundred Pence, but they really weren't committing yet to fully rebuilding. Like there was still the idea that that season or even the, the potential, you know, the next two that you guys could uh, you know make something happen, right?
0: Yep, no, for sure. And and for me, it was like 100 hour buddies. Like I, I was, I, I talked to him plenty uh before that and spring trainings and and we we're friends but i'm getting my my best baseball friend in that trade and nate sheer and so i'm like oh this is great this is classic and he was finally going to get out of the you know out of the way in in san francisco and get an opportunity hits a home run i think in in, in game one uh as a philly and then breaks his foot and that that just that that I'm not saying they weren't. Obviously, no one's going to bank on a injury, but they were not banking on that. They were banking on getting Nate to have an opportunity to play, uh, and and sure enough, next year he goes to Chicago and hits you know 20 plus homers, right? I mean, so maybe we would have gotten that had Nate got you know not gotten hurt. Um, I'm not saying 20 homers, but you know what I mean, like the in that whole situation. So it, it's there's so many what ifs. I love that the 1950 one though is is crazy, yeah. like just. I need more people. One thing about Hunter Pence is – And that's Nate back there.
2: He Yes. Oh, yeah. (laughs) Nice. Left-handed stick. Yeah. So, Hunter Pence, very productive player, outstanding player. But he brings something that I think is so crucial to any baseball team and any baseball player, something I absolutely love, and that's energy. Mm -hmm. And I love energy players, and he was one of them, is one of them.
0: A, a, not a fake energy either. No, you it can't. Is a net, it no, is – no, you know what I mean? Like, there's, there's guys that have energy that you're like, oh, okay. Like, there's crazy people. Like,
2: his energy, I'm talking, life – I'm talking during the game, between the lines, those nine innings. Nobody, but you don't – You don't see a lot of guys them.
0: have that energy that's in between the lines like that and some, off the some, field.
2: Some people don't have it. Some guys don't have it. They're dead-ass players. And But to me, when you have really uh. – we're really great when you have really exceptional skill, as all major leaguers do, and you couple it with energy like a Harper, you're something special.
0: Yep, yep. No, so okay, I don't know if I've ever told you this story. So, we're in the fall league, it was the year that he ended up, uh, so it was 06 07, uh, fall, you know, in between in the offseason of 06. Uh, he ends up having to go home because of a DUI in Hunter Pence, but he was with the Astros at the time, but he was dominating. So I'd never seen him or heard about him. I, I read about him in baseball America at that time. Uh, he's raking in the Fall league. We're playing the first time in Mesa. I'm playing shortstop. Well, okay, I'm ready to go. What the hell is going on in the on deck circle? It's Hunter Penson is, is on deck. like I am I missed two pitches. I missed two pitches because I'm watching his on deck performance. It's a performance of him getting loose. I'm like, whoa. Wait a minute, it's 0-2? Wait, what the hell? What did I miss? Because I was enamored by him. But I was more enamored after that by just watching him go about his business. This dude ran everything out hard, ground ball to the pitcher, Poof, bust his ass right down the line. And then you, you, you look and you're going, oh, my God. Like, this guy, this is the fall league. He's raking. He's doing everything. And it's unfortunate what happened, but it happened. But it never, ever went back on that and said, that guy didn't love the game, ever. He always loved it. He played with a passion. He played with an energy that was natural, but it was weird. Like, it was like he, – he threw weird, but it was hard. It was straight. It was accurate, but it was – it looked funky. His on-decks – you know, I, I can't even – I can't even mimic it. I can't even mimic.
2: Yeah, I remember it was – Oh, But he – I mean, he's a very strong guy. You would never Oof. teach anybody to throw or hit like that, but he was a freakish athlete who – who could do stuff uh, that was maybe fundamentally impure and get great results and get, you know, very good results from, but his energy sticks out to me. And I think energy is so important at any level of the game. I don't care if you're playing eight-year-old girls, softball, eight-year-old little league, high school ball, college ball, energy, man is so key. I was always
1: a dead player. (laughs) Hmm. No way. Come on. I mean, look, you know, that's one of those things that I, I feel like a lot of fans don't take stock in or they discount is one of the intangibles like getting your teammates up uh, the way that Pence did. Kev, when you. Is it difficult to try to explain to a guy who's been in the clubhouse his entire life? Is it difficult to try to explain to people sometimes how important things like that can be? The things that there are not stats to measure? I think now more than ever.
0: Uh, I, I, I would say when I was coming up, uh, you had a lot of people that, you know, had energy or didn't really like the young guys having the energy. They wanted them to stay quiet for like myself. I could speak, you know, I, you guys have met me. I'm very talkative. I have a lot of passion for the game of baseball. I love being where I'm at. It's hard to kind of pull back on that. It really was. Um, and, and so when I say that, I, I feel like the analytic department all that stuff was not involved, and, and and you didn't have to explain the energy part. You you know what I mean? Like you just knew that the chemistry within a team was, was real, right? Because of of certain pieces. Uh, I go back to t- 2010 with the Giants uh, in spring training. We just got Mark DeRosa, uh, Aubrey Huff. It it changed that clubhouse for the better because it it, it brought a looseness to the clubhouse that we cannot really explain, right? And brought out this talent. It didn't mean that they were going to win the title and they end up doing it, but it was one of those things where I think all of us knew we didn't have to explain it. And if we did explain it, people understood like, yeah, 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 he's a clubhouse guy. He's perfect. But now I feel like you have to go farther, right? And discuss like why this guy is so good in the clubhouse, why this guy matters to this team winning in, in a non-numerical way way right I mean there's there's you can't quantify what what a what a player brings within the clubhouse you can't and I think we're we're defining things too much you know Jim said something that it it was such a um, it was so unorthodox in the way Hunter played there's no numerical value on the look of his play the look of his passion the look of the energy that was real that was there Every night, 0 for 4, 0 for 5, or 5 for 5. It was the same. There's no numerical. And, and that, that, to me, I think is getting lost. And in, in, in there are such, and we've talked about this, both of us, like all three of us, there's so much good in a lot of the analytics that have come out. But there's also a lot of good in the stuff that you can't describe. agree. There's no metric on,
2: on, on head and heart. And,
0: mm-hmm. and you combine those and it's amazing because yeah. Hunter had that. You have I mean, to. That, that, that's the beauty of him. Is it was have, always there.
2: You have to include those head and heart in your evaluations, along with your scouts' evaluations, and along with your analytic evaluations in coming up with a portrait of a player. But on energy, there's different kinds of energy. You'll agree. Chase Hartley was not an expressive player. He
0: was not a loud player. But I dare you to say he didn't play with energy. There's all different kinds. All different. You know exactly. I, I would 100% agree because Chase was the guy that led by example
2: right.
0: and the energy that I, I look at energy is this like, okay, you're tired. It's August. You've you, you're now accumulated 500 plate appearances on the year. Uh, it's humid, all this stuff, ground ball, of the pitcher, what do you do? Hmm. And we know what chase did. I mean, he was halfway, he was halfway into the outfield, you know, on the line at, you know, post, you know, being thrown out by 30 feet, but it didn't matter. Because it's, and you can say it's respect for the game. It's all that stuff. It's just, that's who he was. I, I don't even know if it was the respect part of the game. I just think when it comes to certain people, it's them. That's them. That's Chase, you know? And, and uh, I, I just, like, you look at, like, look at relievers. Like, it, you don't have to have an energy every pitch. You don't have to have that bond look but if you give me a fist pump after a big strikeout and we know like in a, in a crucial moment, not like a, a six, nothing game, you come in, you punch out, you know, two guys and yeah, right. That's You give me that two, one ball game. You leave runners on first and third <clears throat> and you get that punch out and you come off with that. It, it, it's a natural yell and all that stuff. Oh, you talk about lighting up a, 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 a not even a fan base, but not only a, not only a fan
1: base. But a dugout, oh, I love that. Well, you know, that's what I think is one of the many things that Bryce Harper added to the Phillies last season. You think about the number of times that he legged what should have been a single into a double. So there's the leading by example in terms of your best player showing he's going all out. And how expressive he would be when he would get the second. You know, the, the whether it was a fist bump or a wave back to the dugout. Um, how about the day game, after,
0: day game after they got eliminated from uh, postseason play, right? In Washington, it's a. It was a. It wasn't a soft liner over Trey Turner's head. It was a. It was a well hit, well struck, low line drive over his head. Victor Robles comes in, kind of jogs on it, and what happens? He takes second base, and that. That said everything I needed it. That said everything about Bryce Harper. That I needed to see more than anything, because look, it, it's a day that we all understood that could have been. Uh, We're not in the, you know, postseason, all this stuff. I can kind of coast in this whole thing. I got my knock. I did that. No, he kept playing, and that I appreciated. I, I don't know how you guys felt, but that one stands out more than anything for me with Bryce.
1: Yeah, I mean, that was a theme constant throughout the entire season. I want to, I want to just real quick harken back. I, you have this Barry, you have this, you know, this giant's Jersey behind you, people who are watching on YouTube, the beginning of your career was when this was going on, right. When you first got to the majors, that must have been a media circus in those giants clubhouses. Huh? And, And I wonder like, has there, has there been anything that you experienced since that was comparable?
0: Not even close, like not even, not even the same breath. Um, I look at the Barry Bonds time. So growing up in the Bay Area, understanding and loving Barry Bonds, uh, and being able to play next to him, uh, play with him, and during this time, it was it was something that I will always take with me. Now, what comes with it is you have Aaron Andrews and the entire you know ESPN crew following you every day. Uh, you had more national media than, you know, probably the, the closest thing to it was the World Series, not the playoffs, the World Series. Um, you know, I, it's like the fourth day, fifth day in the big leagues. I'm leading off against the Brewers in Milwaukee, um, a Monday game, and they put me as the, the leadoff guy during BP. Well, Louis Poole's is throwing BP. I've never seen Louis Poole's throw BP. He throws these, like, natural cutters that are – He's our. Third, he was our third-base coach or first-base coach at the time. Um, he throws his natural cutter, and I and I fouled the first pitch off. Now, I, I couldn't tell you fouling balls straight back in the BP maybe five times in my entire career. Five times. I do this one, it hits Barry right in the head. Oh, wow. <laughs> and he's on the ground. Everyone's – I mean, I become – uh, in my mind, I I'm like shaking because I'm thinking I'm going to get, let, you know, let go. Uh, I'm going to, because I did this. I mean, it was not intentional uh, around the, you know, the national media the next day, I'm a, a God because guess what? Guess who knocked out Barry Bonds? <laughs> yeah, that was me. Uh, there, but that night, so I'm at my locker. I turn around and I, I just got out of the shower. I put on my shirt and I just feel like this presence. I don't know anything that's going on. I really am not seeking anything out. I'm, I'm actually wanting to lay lobe. I turn around and sure enough, it is line to line. It, it, it just like two lockers, three lockers full of cameras, national media members talking to me about knocking out Barry Bonds before the game. And I'm like, uh, and I'm, I'm freaking out. Like now I'm like totally freaking out. Like I, what i yeah i fell the ball off it just happened are you are you glad that you're a part of history now i'm like no i'm not a (laughs) what are you talking about but that night barry stayed back and he had dinner with me there we sat there we talked for a while and i've i've talked to him plenty but he's like dude i know good get get over that like this whole thing he went to Sarah High School where, you know, Tom Brady, Lynn Swan, Barry Bonds, all those guys involved. Fregosi was a, a Sarah Padre. Um, I went to Bellarmine, which was one of their rivals, and all he did for the next hour was talk, you know, a lot of crap about Bellarmine and uh, the dominance of Sarah over them. And then I just we, – we went back and forth, and we had this great relationship, but he stayed back to make sure that everything went right because I, I, wasn't, in, I wasn't there to be a part of the national talk. And so that taught me that no matter what happens, like if you do something wrong around Barry Bonds at that time, it's going to explode. And so it was like kind of lay, lay low as much as I could uh, after that. I didn't foul any more balls off into his head, so that was good. Um, but it, it taught me a ton. It, it, it teaches you a lot because, look, we all get this – You know, everyone gets to have their opinion on the guy. The reason why I fell in love with Philadelphia, the city – was because of Barry Bonds, because in 06, we go back, you know, we come to Philadelphia and you have the, the, the sign in the left field that says the babe did it on hot dogs and beer. And Barry did it on, there's a giant syringe. You had the, the sumo wrestler and the, the skinny guy that were right above the dugout. And it was before and after. And the passion that the city showed towards him, Was incredible. Then it was not only the passion towards the city or towards Barry, it was towards the team, you know, towards Philadelphia, the Phillies. And I loved it. It became my number one place to ever play. And it was that weekend. And then he hit the farthest ball I've ever seen hit in my life. That was off the McDonald's sign against uh, Lieber.
2: Yeah, I remember that.
0: And it was still on its way up when 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 it went out of the park. But it was like those, those things I will never forget. I, I will never forget. I will never forget in Philadelphia that, that weekend with Barry. Sam from Sam Bat. Remember Sam Bat, the, the bat that Barry used? Uh, Sam wearing his overalls comes in to see his number one client. And Barry's pissed. He's like, these bats are terrible. They're, they're off. They're all bad weight and all this stuff. And, and Sam's like this really quiet. He's a large human being. Overalls, you know, like very uh, farm very urban right <laughs> he's a country he, and, i know yeah, and he's and he's so sweet he's just a sweetheart and he's like i'm sorry barry like I, this is not an intentional and but how bad are these weights well barry liked his bats to be you know 34 31.7 ounces he's like this one's like 31.9 this one's 32.1. this one's 31 three and a half we're like wait what like yeah right you're just saying this and I swear to God on the absolute ounce he was right on every single bat they weighed him Sam brought in his his scale they weighed him and I'm like okay so that's a different level you know exactly the weights on everything that you're swinging I mean that yeah (laughs) there's a lot I mean I could go on for hours because I I, I am a believer in him Um, he was great to me and you know he did things for me on the field that People still to this day don't believe me, but that's fine. And, and I'm good with it. So that-
2: uh, in uh, 98, when he was hitting all those home runs, uh, you know, he hit a lot of home runs every year, but I think it was 98 or 99 or 2000, one of those years, I actually uh, went to Ottawa to visit with Sam Holman, Sam Bat. And those bats, you know, this guy started this company in his shed behind his house. In on, you know in in residential Ottawa, the capital of Canada, we had a shed with a little tomato patch next to it, and <laughs> he used to carve the bats. Actually, they, bat makers don't like to say carve; they like to say turn because it's on a blade. Yep. So he used to turn the bats in the shed, right? And then he bring them into his basement. And give him a uh, light sand and he dipped them in uh, the lacquer or the paint or whatever, the stain, whatever you call it, to get the color. And then he'd bring them up into his, uh, he'd hang them to dry. And when they were dry, they go into his living room, which was his shipping department. And he'd box them up and um, he would drive them to the New York State line, Ogdensburg, Ogden'sburg, New York. Um, and because of NAFTA, he was allowed to do this. He used to drive them to the, to the, to the, new york canada line to a post office in Ogdensburg and he'd mail them from there because it was cheaper to use the u.s postal service and that's um how he you know, or he delivered them to montreal because his team in montreal in those days
0: he was like wozniak he, and jobs so it was
2: such a yeah uh, to, how that all started and then barry really put sam on the map he makes a great bat ryan howard uh, hit a lot of home runs with the Santa yep. bat, and
0: yep. he went to Marucci later on. But uh, Pujols, Pujols, it was Pujols. Ryan and and Barry were like the big.
2: Yeah, and it all started, uh, you know, just uh, with him, you know, making bats in his backyard. He was a he was a set. Sam was a set builder for the National Ballet in Ottawa. Really? He's, a, he's a carpenter by trade. Yeah, and it all started because he had a a, a friend who was a scout. I think the guy was a scout for the Rockies and he had been down in spring training. He came, came that back to weird. Ottawa. Yeah. He came back to Ottawa and they're talking one day and he, the, the, the scout says you wouldn't believe how many bats they break in spring training. And Sam very basically, well, that's because ash is not as strong of a wood. They should really make them out of maple problem was they couldn't get maple to be light enough where you could handle it. Where, well, Sam came up with a, a way to uh, reduce the moisture content in the maple to actually make it usable and swingable for for baseball players so that's how the maple bat started yeah uh, right, right in his backyard to try to make a more durable bat he started he started turning them in his shed and driving them to the triple a team in ottawa that's that, amazing. It was a triple a team in ottawa the expos in those years yeah. and if you remember the name fernando Seguinal, he used to score uh, fernando Seguinal started taking bp with these with these maple bats And he's like, you got something here. And that inspired Sam to keep making them. And then he latched on to Barry and Barry was the best advertising ever.
0: Absolutely. And you know, what's crazy is that like, uh, Marucci is very similar to the Sam bat story. So like Jack Marucci, Corey, do you know the whole story behind behind Marucci bats? So Marucci bats, number one bat dealer now in, in, uh, the country, uh, over, over Louisville slugger. And that's the first time in, in, I don't know, I think it was 35, 40 years, uh, and, and it's a bat that I used, the gloves I used, uh, f- fantastic. Jack Marucci, the name, is the trainer, head football trainer for LSU football. And I believe it was either John David Booty or, or Matt Mock, one of those quarterbacks uh, that played at LSU. Ainsworth,
2: too, the guy you put. And,
0: the- well, yeah, no, no, no. So it, 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 it comes down to this. But they come back from a season, and he's like, man, our bats were breaking all the time. And Jack's like, let me look at this thing. And he goes back to his shed, and he kind of – he makes a bat for the, one of the guys. They come back, and they're like, this bat was incredible. So he started just making bats for, for them. And then it- He started
2: making bats. He started ma- – his, his little boy – I did a story on Jack, too. His little boy wanted a wood bat, and Jack had a lathe, and he made him a wood bat. All of a sudden, every kid in the Little League wanted a wood bat. So he yep. started making these wood bats for everybody, making them out of maple. His break was, was uh, Eduardo Perez. Mm-hmm. Before Jack went to LSU, he worked at Florida State. Eduardo Perez played at Florida State. They had bumped into each other somewhere along the way, and Jack said, oh, I'm making bats now. Eduardo says, send me a couple. He sneaks them into a couple games, spring training or whatever. Loves them. Starts raking with them. Manny Ramirez snuck one into the 04 World Series. That was was not licensed by MLB. He sneaks one in there. Um, Marucci made him a a special bat. He called it the CB 24, Curse Buster 24. Sneaks it into the World Series. And that's how these these unbelievable stories start. It yeah. feels like some, something out of Shark Tank. I love I it. Love,
0: I love it. I love it. I mean, like the best Manny story I've ever heard. Omar Vizquel told me this, and it was a three home run game hit by Manny. Uh, he used three different bats. Not one bat was his. Wow. Yeah. He would look at a bat and he would be like, mm, "Okay," and he go it's up perfect, and hit. Perfect. He goes. Harper loves to experiment with other guys' bats. He's always used. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, He I got him out of a slump one time. He used my little my little pea shooter. He got just just a base knock and he 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 loved it. So I just, okay, Bryce, you could have it. Yeah. Did
2: you use maple or ash? When you I hit? always
0: used maple. I was a Marucci guy from 07 on.
2: Did you ever hit with ash? Did you notice a difference? I did. I
0: did. did uh, difference? I look, I think it became a, a, a whole deal like a in the minor leagues, using maple uh as expensive as they were and i was fortunate enough to be in big league camp from my first spring training on uh so i got the bats then the ash bats would you know unless you were there with the with the bone and 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 hardening them up and doing everything and doing the the work they splintered on you and it it could be costly at at some point A, a maple bat like i had a maple bat my first year in pro ball um that lasted two months. I had two months worth, and I was raking, and it like it was like the the Wonder Boy when it broke. I was like, oh, yeah. it was like a ground ball I could have beaten out, and I'm looking back, I'm like, it broke no, but it was the fact that an ash bat would not have really it wouldn't have done that, and and it became more the cost the cost thing than anything, uh, but the 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 Marucci bats to me, I mean Chase used them, Ryan used them. Uh, I mean, you could go on and on about how many guys use them now, but I mean, in, in general, it's it, it's a special bat. I and mean, Bryce is just he 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 lo- you know that I think I've told you this. This is the one thing I I was enamored with with Bryce Harper. When you play with superstar players, there are little idiosyncrasies that 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 they have, but they're not superstitious type things. He's a superstitious guy and player, and I appreciated that about him. Cause there was the realness behind him. Right. I mean, like we're all that way. Routine. We're all, we're all somewhat that way. Yeah. And he was that. And, and so this bat didn't have any knocks. And I'm going to go with this one. Let me, let me try your bat. And it, it's, I, I, that's, that's a huge thing that I'm appreciative about of him.
1: From, uh, you know, from bonds to Pujols to Manny, to Bryce, talking about a lot of record setting type players. And, you know, one of the things that I've been thinking about this week is, You know, if this season is 82 games, let's say, you know, there could be some records set that we never thought would be set. You know, someone mentioned that, and i looked this up. It's hard to believe, but in 2004, final 81 games of the season, Ichiro hit 425 over the final 81 games of the season. Core, hold
0: that thought. Ask that question in just a sec. Let me take a quick break. I have to for Hatfield. We'll be right back with Jim Salisbury and Corey Seidman of NBC Sports
1: Philadelphia and Phillies Talk. When you want perfect franks for a great game, nobody beats Hatfield, the official pork provider of the Philadelphia Phillies. When Hatfield's on the grill, you're guaranteed to get flavor as big as the game. Hatfield is dedicated to making game day franks and sausages with the best taste and highest quality. And don't forget, Hatfield makes other American favorites like bacon, ham, marinated loins, and chops for all of your family's game time needs. At Hatfield, we bring the highest standards from our family to yours. Hatfield, winning flavor, game day, and every day. Visit simplyhatfield.com.
0: Welcome back to Pine Tower for Breakfast. I'm your host, Kevin Franzen, and I'm here joined on the cross pod with NBC Sports Philadelphia and Phillies talk, Corey Seidman and Jim Salisbury, at Kevin Franzen on Twitter. Corey, yeah, I, I interrupted for that commercial. What do, what do you
1: got? Um, how would you guys feel if someone hit 400 in an 80 game? Does that feel like a 400 to you or – it's, it's difficult to say right now. Probably. No, and look,
0: it's not – when you base it on the 144, 154, 162 action, right? It's not the same. It's still something that should be celebrated. It's still something that is freaking awesome. Like, come on. Like, just to be able to have that. I'm a big, I'm a big believer that this, this whole thing, if it's 82 games – it's gonna it should be the most exciting baseball we've ever you know seen, whether it's gonna be on t v or you know you know through the radio waves ninety four w i p uh but for me i I look at this whole thing where this is gonna be a sprint right and so if there are some things that happen like a guy hits four hundred is it the same as a guy hitting four hundred through one sixty two no, but is it something that we should like look at the guy and go It wasn't once. No, it should still be celebrated, but you can't like poo poo this whole thing. Right. I, I, that's, that's just my belief. It's not the same, but it's something that should be celebrated guys being able to do certain things. Like we might see pitchers give up just like the bare minimum in runs, you know, a a guy might have a one, two because of uh, you know, the amount of games and accumulation of, uh, of of games that, you know, they're not going to be, Accumulating all these innings, I'm I'm more. I don't know how you guys feel. I was talking to Brian Price yesterday, and we're. You know how you talk about like this could be like a rest year for certain guys as far as not accumulating those innings, but it's like okay, but the following year, what happens? Hmm. You know, like Aaron Nola has gone a couple years in a row over 200 innings. Let's say he goes and makes you know okay, 82 games, maybe what 16 starts, roughly. I mean, that, that that's yeah, what you would think. Uh, it would come back down. Let's say he averages, you know, six innings. It's 96 innings. Coming back, it's 100 innings less than the year before, 100, 104 innings less than the year before, whatever it may be, and you're going, okay, so can you ramp it up the following year? You know, can you ramp it up and and, and do that? Because we've we've talked about, you know, all these guys coming off Tommy John, What's going to happen. I, I, that's, 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 and that's something to worry about. I don't know. Or maybe think about, I don't know. What do you guys think? Yeah,
1: no, it sure is. I mean, everybody's so focused on 2020, but those are the things you have to consider as well Is how do the off season training regimens change beyond 2020. This, it just feels like this is going to affect sports, you know, not just this year, but for a couple of mm-hmm. years, the impact's going to be felt the ripple effect. Yeah. How
2: about, how about really good prospects at the lower levels? missing all those reps in the batter's box, Okay. all those reps on the mound. It's going to affect uh, the game, you know, in ways we haven't even discussed those prospects missing development time because they're missing it now. And we don't even know what the minor leagues are going to look like when things are going to get going. So it's going to affect people in a lot of ways.
0: All right. This is not speculating on anything because we know that it's going to be expanded rosters, and they're going to have a taxi squad. But they're I'm gonna not have talking to.
2: about taxi squad players. I'm talking about guys in A-ball who wouldn't be on, the, but are a good players and need the reps.
0: Okay, um, but here, here, here's my here here's my thing. Would you guys be opposed for some of these teams to bring those A-ball guys onto the taxi squad if they can help you win
2: games? Fine.
0: Okay, right. but that—that's the point. Is like, being, this is a time for them, like, to be around the big leaguers, and, and I don't know. These taxi squad teams are going to have to play, right? I feel like
2: you have maybe before yeah, you, the
0: the big league game, you're going to have to play these taxi squad games. You, you, you might have to. You're going to have roster problems. So if you
2: put him on, whatever the equivalent of uh, is of your you know forty man reserve list, and all of a sudden now next year you you deem him really not ready. You know, how do you get them off that and without without having to put them through waivers? There's a whole yeah, of, no, I was just thinking, was just thinking if if it's of, but I'm talking about the young minor leaguer who's who's not ready for the major leagues, but he's a golden prospect. This you know, you can hit in the batting cage all day long. It ain't the same as, as being in, in game reps.
0: Yeah, no, for sure. For sure. Like I mean, we can go with Luis Garcia, right? I mean, we saw the the step back he took last year uh in lakewood this would be a huge year for him to get back going right and doing a lot of things now would it be beneficial for him to if they don't have to put him on the roster if the taxi squad thing is just a taxi squad thing and if you have to but would it be beneficial for them to bring him you know to philadelphia to be a part of that he
2: he, he, you know you know know i mean
0: like certain guys like that certain guys like that
2: a guy like that was over his head in lakewood uh i I wouldn't be him into the- but it's the,
0: it's to be able to watch him and be able to see and be able to you know like this this could be a year they could get creative in in i don't know not promoted but you could have future you could have future games being played you know these these taxi squad games because they should be playing games
2: you, you can, know that's the well, only alec, way alec Boehm alec, alec Bohm could you know i mean he's was ticketed for triple i he could end up helping you win big league games with oh hell team. yeah I, i'm you know i think that, that, that level of prospect um, is going to make up your, your taxi squad and, and then the, the NRIs, the Neil Walkers, and, and, and those guys. But, uh, you know, how about a guy like Madison Bumgarner? Mm-hmm. So, you know, he has those great postseasons with the Giants. Do you think – and you follow the Giants. Do you think all of those postseasons um, – you know, kind of built up his odometer a little bit and maybe helped explain some of the velocity drop. And to take it a step further, do you think this downtime is beneficial for a guy like Madison Bumgarner? We're talking about how it's going to impact guys negatively. Could it impact some guys who've
0: carried heavy loads? Could it impact them positively? I absolutely think so. I mean, we won't really know. I mean, the, the Madison thing took a turn for – Everything on, on the the motor motorbike accident, okay. Uh, you know, with his shoulder, and he can't. And and he did what he did to get back, um, and then getting hit in the hand by uh, Whit Merrifield the next year. It and he was his velocity was up at that point in time, uh, and and he was he he was getting back to the normal Madison. Well, that that hindered everything there, so. I think yes with him because it, we, we're going to get more rest. It was, it was two flukish things, one in his control, one out of his control, uh, obviously. But, yeah, he, he's, he's one of those guys that I don't know. Jim, you've been around this game long enough. And, and we were talking about energy, right, and, and the fake energy, the, the real energy, the guys that just have it all the time, Hunter Pence. Madison's like that. And it's a different it's – a, it's a very Chase Utley-like, right, just go about his business every day, but it's the same. And there's no, like, drop-off. There's no spikes. It's always the same. And I feel like guys like him continue their ways in, in, in the postseason because they don't have these. They don't have these. They're this, but it's a, it's a high-level this. Like, you know, staying, in, staying at that level. Um, where everyone else's anxiety, the adrenaline catches up to them, and they don't know how to use it, he does. And, and I, I don't know. that That's just something that I've wondered if, if you see that through other pitchers or players.
2: Uh, I, I see the intensity, and I respect it, and the, and the competitiveness and taking the ball and all that stuff. I, I love the guy. He's a, he's a warrior. I just was raising the point that he's carried heavy loads in October. Mm-hmm. And it's, you know, big, heavy, stressful loads. And, you know, that that's – Hey, that's wear and tear. That's well, you saw
0: with well, Cole, Twitter right?
2: A little bit of a little downtime could, could maybe help yeah. him. That's all. Well,
0: well, Cole was so great in 08-09 postseason, right? I mean, and then you, you get to 10. It wasn't the same Cole that year,
1: right? 09, I mean, 09 Cole. 09 was the year he struggled after the 07 and 08. 08, 07-08. Yeah, yeah, yeah. He'll tell, yeah, he'll yeah.
2: tell you he didn't, he didn't train the right way. Didn't,
1: but it, I think their
0: bodies were just – like they're, that – People forget like winning takes a toll and it's awesome right. like, to win is awesome. Right. But these guys are, are going and added extra yeah. right for the job that they are required to do. Yeah. But it, it, it's an adrenaline. You just don't have all the time. It's, that it it's just where, it,
2: it's where you wanna be. The postseason is yep. where you wanna be. Absolutely. An extra month of intensity, an extra month of stress, an extra month of wear and tear. And sometimes I think uh, we underestimate that. It's where you wanna be. Absolutely. It's where you have to be. Yeah. yeah. I'm not saying you wanna you don't wanna be there. I'm <laughs> saying maybe uh, some guys can benefit from catching their breath a little bit. That's all.
1: And that's what makes it so remarkable when you see teams sustain those runs, those deep playoff runs year by year, like We're watching right now this Last Dance documentary about Michael Jordan, and you saw that the three consecutive long runs in the playoffs coupled with the, you know, some of the -the off-the-court stuff that he had to deal with, he was spent by the end of that, you know? And, I mean, think back to those Phillies teams, five straight playoff runs. Uh, It was a period where after the first two years, at least, they were expected to win. And it was like, you know, it got to a point where it seemed like when they would win a game, it was a sigh of relief as opposed to, um, you know, a feeling of elation. So, that's what makes it so remarkable when you see those teams do it year after year after year. There aren't many of them that can do you,
0: do you, Jim and, and, and Corey, you could talk about this. I don't know. Is, is it I'm not going to say they didn't want to win, but did you see that the, the desire or the expectation to win was higher than the want of those those that late run of, of Phillies in, in you know the five straight?
1: Sure seemed like that way in twenty eleven. What would you say, Jim?
2: I think there was, um, you know, I I think they lost a little hunger. Some of the guys might have lost a little hunger or maybe a little edge, but I also think, you know, they benefited by bringing in a guy like Halliday to, um, you know, who hadn't been there to sharpen that edge in 10 and and 11. I remember those great Yankee teams. Um, Every year they seemed to bring in a new guy. One year Clemens. One year it was – Knoblock, uh, missing guys, I'm sure, but every year they seem to bring in a different guy that had never been there, and kind of Scott Brocious. You know, Scott Brocious reinvigorate that hunger a little bit, reestablish that hunger a little bit. Um, but you know what? I, I, I think it's only naturally your belly gets full a little yep. bit. Um, the special ones can come back the next year and be hungry again, but um, you know, hey, yeah, I, I think they should have won more in those days. There were a lot of reasons they should have won more.
0: That's why. I'm, that's why in baseball it, it, it's so much more difficult than in ba- basketball to do, I think, because I mean an, an individual can carry you a long way in basketball, as we saw with Michael Jordan. In baseball, if six guys have that hunger and three guys don't, whatever it may be, it, it, it really takes away from the, that that team. And in, in basketball, a one guy could will with the great talent, but could also will a team to the to the finals. Now it takes a team effort to get through that. I, I just think in baseball, there's so much more that to, you know, to have that we were talking about early, not to quantify, you can't quantify the heart and the, in this, right. As a team, you can't quantify having the same beliefs.
2: Yeah. Momentum time. is momentum and, and, and peak performances and baseballs. You know, you have a bad week, you, know, you have a great week. I mean, they had a bad week in 2011 they, they St. Louis Cardinals had a great two months, and they just were not putting up from, like, August 25th on. So, I mean, I think about the 08 team. They weren't the best team of that run, but they had a great postseason, and things lined up for them a little bit because, if you remember, the Cubs were a very good team that year. They got knocked out early by the Dodgers. Dodgers. And the Phillies faced the Tampa Bay Rays in the World Series, not the Boston Red Sox. The Tampa Bay Rays beat the Boston Red Sox. They were spent after that. That was their World Series. It was the same thing when the Eagles finally made the Super Bowl in 1980, beat the Dallas Cowboys finally in the NFC Championship game. They had nothing left for the Super Bowl. And that's just not me talking. I got that right from Bill Berge. I did a story on it. He told me flat out, that was our Super Bowl, beating the Cowboys. We had nothing left. Very analogous situation with the Philly. Facing the Tampa Bay Rays, Tampa Bay Rays beat the beat the mighty Boston Red Sox. That was their World Series. So many things lined up for the Phillies, uh, and you know, and most of all, performance. Cole Hamels putting the team on his back, and and that bullpen really um, doing the job it did, hitting the way they did. So you know, you gotta you gotta play good, you gotta get hot, you gotta have momentum, you gotta, and you gotta hope the other guys don't have it.
0: You get luck. There's
1: luck. There's the luck factor. There's I mean,
2: definitely luck and randomness and everything. It's just
1: like life. Well, you know, Kev, at the beginning, you asked, how are we keeping ourselves sane and find topics to discuss? Yeah. Look at this. I mean, we just had an hour full of conversations that even without I the game, it. you can still have, and they're still relevant. You know, <laughs> baseball's not going to be gone forever. It's you know? going to be coming back. And, uh, you know, all this is a lot of fun to think about speculatively, but also uh, the idea that in a couple months, all this could come to fruition.
0: What's the one thing that you're, you guys are excited to write about when the game comes back?
1: Or talk about I mean, either, either way. I'm, I'm really interested in how the dynamic changes with no fans in the stands, you know, which guys are affected, uh, which guys admit whether it has impacted them. Um, there are a lot of players that probably will have no effect on it, but I'm curious to see who those guys are and who those guys are not.
0: Yeah, I'm, I, I'm the same way. I, I think that this is uh and without, you know, I this all due respect and not talking drugs or anything, but I I I, I want to see how this is the effect of like taking away greenies. You know, and, and and I say that because we saw the effect it had on older players, right? And not being able to play day game after night game. Uh for me, I I, I look at this going, oh my gosh, like we we're gonna see the older guys, I think, struggle a little bit as we get longer in this because the the fans matter and the energy the fans bring matter to the players and the older players as far as bringing their a game all the time because that adrenaline is added and that adrenaline gets you over the soreness gets you over being tired and and i'm 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 really looking forward to that i'm looking forward to the sprint more than yeah
1: I'm all for this season getting as weird as possible. Personally, I think the weirder it gets, the the more fun it'll be. And Kev, thank you very much for getting weird with us here yeah, I for love an it. hour on the podcast, brother.
0: You guys are the best. Appreciate it coming on the Pine Tar for Breakfast
1: podcast. Anytime, <laughs> we'll catch up with you soon, buddy. All right, dude.
0: And there they are: Corey Seidman, Jim Salisbury, NBC Sports, Philadelphia, and Phillies talk. Thanks for coming on Pine Tar for Breakfast podcast weekend edition this episode was brought to you by Hatfield quality meats makers of delicious Hatfield Phillies Franks Hatfield I appreciate you we appreciate you and I appreciate you fans tuning in to Pine Talk for breakfast for this cross pod and till next week peace